The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This is a Danger Entertainment Podcast. DangerEntertainment.net Danger Entertainment Podcast Network. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Welcome to another episode of Wookie Radio. It is Smugglers 3, Derek, Kylan, or Derek, Kyle. Sorry, wow. Ken. Derek, Ken, and myself, Mike. It's one of those crazy weeks. Yeah. And, um, hey, Kylan, Kylan, you might want to get yourself checked. You're looking a little pale. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> Um, joining us joining is, is is a good friend of mine. Is, is a good friend of mine. This is Skype. This is Skype. <laughs> the hollow nets are, the hollow are nets talking are back. Are the buffering is yeah, not working. Back. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we're hearing it too. Uh, <laughs> sore. I didn't hear it. So, as I was, three out of four hears it. Derek must be lucky. Um, it's gone now. I don't feel lucky. <laughs> <laughs> on the line with us good friend of mine you may know her from shows like lex which you can find on most streaming services for free right now um all four seasons and she played jiggerita in lex one of my favorite sci-fi villains from from that time period tv shows you also I know that show well you can watch it again it's available yeah i need to go back and watch it is it it is oh yeah you could also cool. see her you, you also may remember her as the rubber maid mom in napoleon dynamite which is another great movie and then a movie that has come back to the forefront tammy and the t-rex <laughs> which I believe I forgot where I saw it was available on. I think it's available on Amazon. And the person I'm referring to is Ellen Dubin. How is everyone doing? Great. With that great introduction. <laughs> An eclectic group of credits there. <laughs> well, you you also do voices on Skyrim. You uh, were on your, your first Star Wars project that you ever did was Star Wars Uprising. Correct. Yep. And most recently, you have been the voice of Phasma, both Lego and in Star Wars Resistance. Star Wars Resistance. Yep. Yep. Tell us how you ended up getting cast for Phasma. Well, I did not audition specifically for Captain Phasma. Um, I was in an, uh, a voice class with a woman named Lindsay Halper Perlman, who is the head of casting at George Lucas's company, slash Disney, Lucas Disney. And we were just doing general, I think I did a, a queen and some crazy monster for her in the class. Hmm. And somehow or other, flash forward, and I always say this to people, you never know, like if you're on camera, you never know who's watching. As a voiceover actor, you never know who's listening. Flash forward a year later, I get a call from my agent. Uh, you've booked a job, and I can't remember the, listen, they all have code names. Like, it's not called Star Wars. It was called, you know, Island of the of Apes. I, I don't know, but literally sometimes they're the most craziest names you, you just it's like forget i have to look it up and tell you it was something like tropical it was just some vague thing and you know the vaguer and crazier it is you usually know it's a very big project i've now learned that it's usually associated with something like aa list 
And um, she said, yeah, you're going to be doing this project. And then the day before, I said to my agent, what am I playing? She said, I don't know. You're just going to go in. But the day before, because it was a sound alike, they had to let me know that I would be emulating Gwendolyn Christie in the Star Wars movie. But at the time, the movie had not come out. So they could not give me a, a, a reference. So they gave me a, a reference, not from Game of Thrones, but an interview she did with um, either Jimmy Kimmel or, you know, a typical late night right. host thing. And it, it's still, it's, but it's her. And she's very flamboyant and very funny in real life. You know, she's not like this, you know, all that. Mm. Uh, like she's quite a fun character. So Captain Phasma is not that much fun. Like she's not, you know, there's a sort of a stick up her rear end kind of character, you know, very, very upper crossed and just, he just says things very uh, sort of matter of fact. Um, so when I was in the booth, I, I was panicking because I, there are some actors who are great at sound alikes. I think I suck at it. But I got the text in the booth, didn't get it before. And the guy, I could hear them like, and I was like, what the hell? Apparently, one of the sound engineers on the Star Wars movie was doing the Star Wars, the first uh, uh, Lego Star Wars. And he said, you sound exactly like her. So oh, wow. that oh, wow. made me feel, because honestly... Oh, I also knew that I had to do a British accent, an upper crust British accent the night before. And I'm and I'm can I'm very good at it, but you still if it's not something you've worked on for a while, and I think I just done some New York character was very different. So it was um you you're sort of scrambling and I knew the night before so I was listening to Gwendolyn Christie and watching uh, Game of Thrones and a bunch of other things anyway and Helen Mirren and all these upper crust ladies just to get the, the tone again. And um yeah, I went in and and that's how I got cast by her seeing me in a class and she had such a good ear this is what a great casting person is like she had such a great ear she could hear even though I wasn't specifically doing a British accent or Captain Phasma she heard something in my tone and she cast me so that's how that came about and then when they were when Gwendolyn Christie decided not to do season two she did all of season one in uh, Star Wars Resistance. So um, they called me because they remembered me from Lego Star Wars. And it's a different production team. But again, everybody talks. Everybody knows what's who's playing what. And because they were happy with what I'd done before, they hired me for Resistance. And I, you know, I hope that there's more Star Wars movies going to come out with her because she's sort of one of these characters that's not in it a lot. You know, the sort of the, right. the unsung, you know, the unsung villain, actually of the piece and but she's it's a very memorable character anyway you know she makes the most of her couple of minutes every now and then so and, and i'm a big fan of hers she makes me look short i'm five ten and a half and she's six three in real life so <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing so that's that's my 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 story on it's the truth i swear <laughs> so were you shocked to hear that you were being brought in for the second season of resistance yeah really real and i mean it's an incredible cast of people and a lot of those actors have played kylo ren and um you know they 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 seem to have um a repertoire of the similar of the same actors in a lot of their shows and you know again this was a this was a very big project. Uh, I love the director. I've always wanted to work with her, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. They were a little bit more, not that they weren't thorough in Lego Star Wars, but in, in Star Wars Resistance, they were even more picky with the sound alike because she had done the first season. So I felt even more pressure to be even better. Because Lego Star Wars, there was nobody who had done it. And it, it's a little bit more comedic. Right. You know, you could there was things we could get away with. And if if you listen to the two different phasmas, there's a, it's a different version of her. Yes, we still have the, the British, the upper crust, very commanding, that kind of thing. But in the Star Wars resistance, she's even more posh. She's even more British. If you'll notice, there's a little, little bit of a pullback in, in Lego Star Wars. It's more... I call it mid-Atlantic, it's British, but the other one is so far forward, it's more up there. There's really, it's really there. The other one is there. It's a slight difference, and I think maybe for children, because the first one is more for, not that they're not both for kids, but more adults, 
you know, do Star Wars Resistance. And I think it's just a different team and just a different angle on Captain Phasma. There was a couple of different adjectives they used when I was in the booth to direct me. Now, when you were doing Resistance, we know um, when they did Clone Wars and when they did Rebels, they had the entire cast in the booth. Did you guys um, record just you in the booth for Resistance, or was everybody there? Yes. In Lego Star Wars, there was... uh, Actually, they were in the booth, but they they were just waiting to go on. So, no, we didn't read as a group... I think we, yes, we did read one scene as a group. We we did. We did read one scene, I think one of the battle scenes, because we also lend our voices in Lego Star Wars to some of the secondary characters, you know, screaming and yelling. So that was kind of a group thing. They wanted that momentum. But in um, Star Wars uh, Resistance, we were by ourselves in the booth. Yeah. Which is generally the case, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's pretty amazing, though, because when they edit it together, it's you have have to give them different versions of how you might react if somebody's talking to you. You know, it's it's interesting. Right. It happens in video games as well. You know, you give them three or four different versions because you don't know if the guy playing your brother is going to hate you, he's going to slap you, he's going to laugh at you. You sort of do a small, medium, and larger version. And uh, it's it's very interesting. But I kudos to the people who edit those shows. I mean, think about a job. What kind of job they have to do that? Everything sort of has to match, and the reactions and the actions mm-hmm. have to be sort of all in sync. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Have you ever have you had to do in video games? Um, I've heard some voice act voiceover actors have had to do just sessions where all they do is record various noise grunts and things like that for the game. Oh yes. Oh, yes. I've um, generally in the sessions that I've done, it's usually at I'm trying to think if I've ever done a session of just grunts and groans by itself. Nah, most of my sessions, there'll be the first two or three hours or the first couple hours will be some of the dialogue. And then at the end, like I've played a lot of orcs and Argonians. So, you know, you're kind of in there, that kind of thing. Because not a lot of women can get down and dirty like I can, because I find with the low voices, we we tend to get that kind of, you know, you know my friends who talk up in there they don't usually get the uh, which is fine I, I admire them too um but yeah it's usually a good director and production team will put it at the end because if you're starting to even if and i use my voice i you know i was a stage actor and i was a singer so you know how to use your breath control and your voice but even the best of people like i've talked to guys like steve bloom and troy baker who've done this for so long some of them will not do those things anymore because it really can fray your core just like you're constantly scratching your finger and even if your finger's in good shape you're going to get some cuts and you know i find that if i'm doing a, a lot of orcs or argonians or monsters or zombies the next day if i have a commercial voiceover a narration where i'm supposed to sound clear and flowy I can't take that job. I have to really, if if it's supposed to be somebody kind of gravelly and raspy, then it's great the next day. But if it's got to be all clean tones and they don't want any cock, as I call it, or muck in the voice, you're, you're, you're screwed seriously. So yeah. And I don't mind it. I think it's kind of fun, but you know, after screaming, being set on fire five, six, seven times in a row, it can, it can, uh, it can exhaust you. Yeah. A lot of work. It's a lot of, a lot of exercise. You're really, it's like working out in the gym. It's a good question though. Good question. Well, I can you imagine. Said, um, yeah. yeah. You've done a lot of stage work and singing and stuff. How did you get into voiceover? You know, when I was growing up, I never was interested in performing at all. Well, I was. I was interested in being a ballet dancer like your daughter, Michael. And um, But um, I got into voice work kind of by accident. I was in my commercial agent in Los Angeles, and she says to me, you've got a really interesting voice, very rich. And she said, um, and you've got a great acting background, a lot of sci-fi. And the agency next to me has a lot of sci-fi actors who do video games and she said, can I get your stuff to them? And I said, yeah. And my mother had told me all along, like when she'd see me on stage, she'd go, you should do voices. You should do voices. And I said, eh. well, so I walked over, walked my stuff over, and I met with um, Tom Lawless and Wes Stevens at Vox in Los Angeles. They're still my agent 12 years later. And uh, the rest is history. And we didn't really even talk. We talked about life. And we just got along really well. And they're just fun guys. And uh, the first job I booked as a voiceover actor was for the U.S. Army. Um, sexual uh-huh. harassment of the U.S. Army. 
Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. As a daughter of a veteran, it was actually kind of an interesting first gig. And my first video game was Guild Wars 2. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, which is oh, pretty wow. good Good start. And I auditioned. This, this you'll find interesting, guys. I was on a vacation with my parents. And I'm, I'm not really technically savvy, but I know how to record voiceover auditions because we record a lot of them on our own. We were staying at this house and I got these auditions and there was 14 characters. And I thought, I'm going to audition for every single one of these. But we didn't have a studio. And we were staying in this place with very high ceilings. And as you guys know, I see exactly not good for recording. So I took the comforter and two chairs, made a tent, got on my belly on the floor, put the, put the papers, like I glued them to the wall, like with a piece of tape, and just started going to town. There were all these different norns and chars and, again, very kind of gruff voices. And I did all 14 with a humming. I kept having to unplug the refrigerator because it was... <laughs> when I got the job, I remember I had to go for a callback, which is kind of rare nowadays. In animation, not so much, but in video games, yeah. And um, they gave me some other characters that I didn't even do. And then I think I ended up booking one of the 14 and two others that I did. But uh, oh. it was, yeah, it was kind of neat. Yeah, I figured, you know what? If you have a choice and you can do 14 characters, not that I was perfect in every one, but I brought my own interpretation. It's better, you, you know, it's, you got a better shot. 14 lottery tickets or one. That's how I look at it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh? So that's how I got into voice, being in my, uh, being in an office and somebody said, wow, that's great. Let's walk you over. So. Now we, we know you, you were doing Phasma for both. Um, before Resistance, you were doing it for the Lego series and for the Lego games. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. That wasn't your first time in Star Wars, though. Um, tell us a little bit about Uprising, because you, you ended up playing a, a new character created for the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I, Captain, what was her name? I will find it for you. Um, that was interesting. Um, I think she was um, a bounty hunter. Yeah, a bounty hunter. I mean, again, a very powerful character like Captain Phasma, but not as upper crust. Captain, kind of more Captain, Captain to, to still. Sit still? <laughs> Sit still? To still. T Y S T E T E L. To still. I think I've seen a couple other characters. Yeah, yes. Yeah, she did not sit still, this woman, believe me. <laughs> and. <laughs> Um, kind of a, remember, she was a pirate queen. She was a pirate. Yeah. And so it was kind of like that kind of thing, you know, Hey, how you doing? You know? And I find that when I play more blue collar characters, I take off the INGs and that's my quick, you know, if it's like singing or dancing, dance, you know, it's, if you're, if you're talking more upper crust, you know, I learned this in a video game class, you go flaming instead of flaming, you know, you, you just, it just take in the language is more slurred and there's just different characteristics. And I think I made her a drunk pirate a couple of times too. There yeah. was like some pub scenes. Um, and then there was a lot of commanding things again. Um, I, I really enjoyed working with that director because I was in Toronto at the time doing a movie and I booked it and he Skyped. He, um, I think it was, he phone patched with me at a big studio here in Toronto and uh, I was really grateful that he had the foresight to, you know, that's the beauty of voice voiceover work. Generally, some studios, like Star Wars, a couple times I was here in Canada working, and they would record, they found a studio here and we record. And that's the beauty of it not being on camera, that you can Skype and do remote from everywhere. And I, I really enjoyed working on that because it was my first Star Wars credit. And you know what, no matter what you say, and I never grew up with Star Wars. It was not something, wow. you know, that, that, yeah, you know, I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But <laughs> I, when I would tell people about, you know, you book Star oh, this is really great. And so many people in our business are Star Wars aficionados. And I really was not. And I, but I was really excited to book that. I really, and to have that character created for me. I think I played a few other characters, but that was the main one. And I was hoping that they would do more, more episodes with that, but it was just sort of a short lived yeah, type of, that, yeah. That's what, that's what surprised me because I, I played that game quite a bit. It was kind of 
wasn't it? And I and I played it before I knew it was you were in the game because because yeah. yeah. I think you didn't you didn't announce you were in the game till like three four months after it started. Yeah, I was worried because you know I'm very conscious of, and I think I probably could have done it earlier. I'm learning better now, but you know you have to be so careful. I mean even. My friends who say, I'm going to audition now for a secret project, and then they take a picture of the studio they're at. A friend of mine got, um, what's the word? Uh, like that? <laughs> packed out of the audition because everybody uh-huh. knew that that studio was a Lucas studio because there's a certain uh, diagram in the back of the wall where everybody in the know who knows that particular studio in Burbank knew that she was going in there, and then they, they cut her out. And that's... Yeah. So I, I say not, and you know what, I do, why bother saying I'm going to an audition now at such and such a place? That is so dumb. You know, I know we get excited, but get the job, let them air it. And then, you know, that's part of right. our responsibility now to, to do. So, yeah, I, I think I, I announced it a little late. And also, I don't know how, did it do well as a game? I don't know. Did it? Um, it, it did. I thought it did okay. Um, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, I, I looked I, it up, though. It was, it was only live for a year. Yeah. I looked oh. it up. It was very short-lived. Uh, yeah. Which which is what surprised me, but I mean i I got to I got to the levels of your, where I interacted with your character um, pretty quick. Uh, and the first time I heard the voice, I'm like, wait, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> and, and I, and she was I, pretty, she, well, she, she was pretty low. She was yeah. down there. Was it yeah. there? Yeah. But I, but I never, I never asked because, because I just, I never thought, I'm like, it sounds like Ellen. But I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let go. I'm not, I'm not gonna bother you because you, oh, you, you've been pretty busy. And then, um, and then all of a sudden, you came out and said, "Hey, I hope everyone's enjoying the game that I'm in, Star Wars Uprising." And I'm like, that was, <laughs> "Okay, that confirms that was her." Yeah. Um, it's such a fun character. Very, yeah. I mean, how many times do women get to play pirates? True. Yeah, I've had a few auditions for women pirates lately, though. So somebody's. Liking that as a genre, I think it's kind of great. I think it's usually you see, associate with a male character, so yep. I'll yeah. do it. Yeah, and yeah, that's cool. For... Well, with as much as um, Star Wars is moving more and more towards female leads and stuff, we're going to see. I think in the future, especially in animation, even we're going to see a lot more of the smuggler and pirate and um, those type of characters coming for women. I agree completely, Michael. Oh, there you are. You disappeared yep. there for a sec. I there. missed you. Um, I I agree. And- and um, they're just it's just fun to see what's not expected. And I, I think that soon. Um, yeah, you're right. In animation and even, you know, what's interesting in military games, you know, the Call of Duties initially, if they had one or two characters. Now I'm auditioning for a woman that's commanding, you know, the the soldiers like I'm the head military person or or the head soldier or the head commander or the head general. I've had a, some, a, a few, and I'm hoping. I, I, ha- I only did one military game called Defense Grid 2, and I'd like to do some more military stuff. It really suits my voice, so hopefully something will come out of these recent auditions. But I, I think the tide is turning. I agree with you. Well, I, you sent, know? I sent a picture of what Captain Testel looks like. Oh. It's in the chat. Oh, it's in the chat. In the chat. Oh, how cute am I? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, she's a Zabrak. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Is that called a Zabrak? You said a Zabrak. Yeah, Zabrak. Zabrak. Uh, it's the same race as Darth Maul and um, Savage Press. Yep. Ah, okay, Zabrak. Okay, thank you. I learned something. See, yep. you Star Wars aficionados. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Currently, what projects do you have out now? Because I, I know we're, we're a Star Wars show, but we, we want to we want to touch on what people can see you in now. Okay, so hopefully there'll be some more of this. Can you see my little pin? Can you guys see it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes. Oh, that's my Phasma pin. Can you guys see that? I got yeah. it. I got it uh, at San Diego Comic Con last year. And it's limited edition, and I had a little one, but somebody stole that off the desk. So. Well, and, uh, and uh, it's I'm trying to get as much memorabilia as I can of hers, and I got a pop. 
does pop. Oh, very cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, oh, I, will, yeah. I will keep my eyes open for what we have yeah, here at Walt Disney World. And I, it would be really great because I know you, you, you're you all things Star Wars. So I just wanted to mention that to you because uh, I, I know you have your eye on, on that stuff. And she, there's some things, but it's not there's not a lot. But when I saw the pop, I was excited. I meant, I made, I made it. I made it. You know? yeah. it's so cool. she looks like this one here? Oh, yes. Oh, you got the chrome one? No. Oh, that's a cutie. Is it going to bobblehead? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. We, we learned uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago when we had someone on from uh, a site called the Pop Insider when we were covering Toy Fair. Yeah. All Funko Star Wars Pops are bobbleheads because Hasbro has the right to the figures. I haven't opened my box yet, so are you saying that mine will bobble? Yes. Yes. Yours yes. will be a bobblehead also. Yours what will be I a bobblehead as my box will bobble. So that's so it does move up and yes. down. Okay. Yes. Okay. You know, I don't want to take it out of the box because it's it's sort of a collector's item. Like yeah. I have a Napoleon Dynamite doll that I haven't taken out of the box, but I think it is a bobblehead too. You know what? I think his head does. Yep. Yeah, I think it is a bobblehead. Well, that's very interesting. That's that why, that. Yeah. That is, uh... that, well, that's why um, pop figures, the Funko pop figures, this box is not sealed on purpose so that you can actually take it out without breaking the box and put it back in the box. Hello, Ellen. Open it up then. Okay, thank yeah, you. They're not taped. They're not taped. There's no seal on it. There's no clue. It's just folded together. They started off sealed. They did start off sealed, and they changed that when people were complaining. I won't be able to take these out and display them. I don't want to ruin the box. So they stopped. How clever stop for me to do? Yeah, that's really smart. So, oh, in answer to your question. So I just finished a very interesting sci-fi pilot called The Time Ooh. is Right. It is a time travel pilot about a game show where in the game, the contestants um, have certain rules. They ha- I'm, I'm, I have to only say certain things, but I have certain rules that they must follow or else they get um, eliminated. <laughs> and um, I am the show. Yeah, exactly. Not, not in a go home and get a consolation prize kind of way. And yeah. um, you got it. And I'm the showrunner. And um, I also have a sort of an agenda agenda to be part of the show and and we can co- go back and stop time but i'm not talking about mussolini or adolf hitler it's got to do with your own personal stuff like my lover died and i want to go back in time and save them kind of thing and but i'm oh. not allowed to do certain things but i might so that's it it's called the time is right and i really believe in this guy he's a writer garner haynes he's a creator writer he's as he says, he's nobody famous. He doesn't know anybody, but I got a beautiful cast together for him of wonderful actors. And hopefully he will. We shot a sizzle reel and he's shopping it around. I did a few of these kind of projects this year that I believed in that one. And then I did a well, I did two World War Two projects. I did Roland Emmerich's Midway, which is a two hundred fifty million dollar right, buster. Right. And. I got to work with um, Woody Harrelson and um, Mark Ralston, who was in Aliens and Shawshank Redemption, two of the greatest movies ever made. Um, And unfortunately, I haven't seen the movie, but a couple of German critics who are friends of mine, that sounds funny, German critics who are friends of mine, um, they saw it in Germany, (laughs) and I'm literally in one shot, my scene was cut up. But... Ah. It might be on the DVD. What's even some of the male leads, and it's it's a heavy male picture. There's Mandy Moore and me. I mean, so, um, <laughs> it, but it was so cool because as my my father was older, and he was a World War II veteran. My dad and passed in about a year and a half ago at ninety four. So to get that movie was double whammy for me to just as a tribute to him and all the other veterans. And then I did another World War II piece, which was made for about $10,000 as opposed to $250 million, about women pilots during World War II called um, Boundless. And it's based on women in Florida who st- started this uh, group. It's called the Wasps. And uh, they actually did some flying during World War II. But after World War II was finished, they weren't recognized they were told to go back, be a housewife, get pregnant, and they didn't even get a proper funeral. They didn't get the American flag on their coffin. They didn't get anything. But it's an incredibly interesting part of history that not too many people know about. And uh, so I played this woman from Florida who was a re- based.
based on a real character who was a real ball breaker at the time. I mean, when you think about it in the 40s, for a woman to be a pilot, period, right. during the war um, mm. and with the effort, the war efforts, I mean, it's a pretty, not a lot of people know about it. And this girl had done 10 years of research and uh, I met I met her on Facebook. I got cast on Facebook. Oh, wow. you know, I was telling her dad because my dad was in the Air Force. So I knew a lot about airplanes from him. And uh, what's the name so of this movie again? It's called Boundless. I'll let you know when it comes out. Um, it's yeah, I'm very impressed with this. It was a, f- a female first time director. Um, and it was her story. Her grandmother was a pilot. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. Truth is stranger than. So I did those projects and I have some video games coming out, which I can't mention right now. And <laughs> the biggest part right now, I think for all of us is that we all help each other and stay in and get healthy and keep our world safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best project we can do right now. You know, um, I think it's a crazy time and uh, talk about Star Wars and a a different universe, right? An alternative universe. And and you cannot write this. I mean, we've seen a lot of these movies, Contagion and all kinds of movies with infectious diseases. But this is just beyond our... I mean, it's beyond. It's crazy. It's mm. it, it's unfathomable. Now, I I'm not afraid to to mention this because the last time we had you on Weeby Geeks, you had yes. just done a small project with Walter Koenig from Star Trek, oh, that, who all, right. who has also, I believe, appeared in. Didn't he have a small bit part in Clone Wars, guys? I think it was in Rebels. I think was Rebels. it Rebels? I can look up here. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, that's actually on Amazon Prime right now, and that was called Nobility. And unfortunately, they lost their money. Uh-huh. But I became very good friends with Doug Jones. is a very good friend of mine, and Doug is in Toronto. Well, it's on hiatus. Star Trek Discovery, right. and um, mm. you know he's well, I think one of the finest human beings and a great actor. I mean, watching him in Shape of Water as that reptile just blew my mind. I mean, he's he's mm. in. So great in Star and Star Trek Discovery. Uh, he's just. And of he's, course, we also know Doug Jones is, is Abe Sapien in Hellboy. Oh, he's which, which oh, I yeah. which I found interesting that he then was the, the creature in uh, yes in the other film in the Shape of, in the shape he, of Water. He's an, he's an expert at behind the mask acting. Yeah, I mean, mm. honestly, I we're with the same voice agent in L.A. and I honestly said to my voice agent, I said he really should be nominated for an Oscar for that because to pull off something where you cared about him, you found him interesting. Like I was thinking I was watching a date. You forgot that this was a reptile. I mean, he really (laughs) tore tore the strings of my heart. And I was like rooting for him, you know, this disfigured creature. Um, He's a phenomenal and one of the nicest human beings. So, yes, it is on Amazon, but unfortunately, and Kaz Anvar is also starring in it, who's a good friend of mine, who's a star of The Expanse, the television series The Expanse. And we cast and uh, Tori Higginson, who was in all the Stargate shows, and uh, Chris Judge, Stargate. Um, Oh, oh, James Kyson, who's a good friend. He was in Heroes. Um, uh, oh, somebody else. Uh, we had a great, great group of people. I mean, there's every one of us. I mean, he, the producer, had Lex ringtone on his phone. That's why I got cast. Oh, wow. He huge fan of Jigarata the Wicked, and uh, he that's a, that's uh, blew me away. You know, you never know who again who's watching. We go back to the beginning of this. Who's watching or who's listening? And. Uh, he asked me to do it, and I'm sorry it didn't make it. But you can watch some of the scenes on my website. It's really kind of a cool yep. show. It's a it's a really cool show. Well, now that I have Prime, I'm going to go back and watch it on Prime. Now, oh, the other person I'd like to give everybody credit is Miracle Laurie, who was in a show called Welcome to the Dollhouse. I think it was a J.J. Yeah. Abrams yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. Right. Lovely, lovely person too. So yeah, we had a and, a, and uh, we had a really really wonderful cast. It was so, oh, and Adrian Wilkinson from uh, from Xena, Warrior Princess. Yeah. So all of us had sort of our little fan bases, and that was the point, to put together a bunch of uh, sci-fi geeks and nerds, and all of us are sci- I'm not even talking about the fans, I'm talking about us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, hey, if you're not a nerd, you're, you're, you're not important in life. Nerds are important. <laughs> now, Derek, you may remember her as well from another project from other guests we had on when we had Trish Raynone and Katie Ullman. Oh, with uh, my room, that. with my roommate is my escort. Roommate, oh, and funny, right, yeah. I was online with Trish about 
25 minutes before this interview just seeing how she was doing in isolation. Yeah, I played their um, <clears throat> pimp. Yeah. That's a funny story. <laughs> they're, telling me they're telling me they're doing this show, right? And I said, okay, um, so your escorts. Okay, so who's playing your, your pimp, the head of the escort agency? I don't know. We haven't cast him yet. I said, him? Why don't I do it? And we'll do it like I'm a business lady doing a business deal, which is basically what, what that is, right. that kind of relationship. And I played her and I don't know if you – it's episode five. Yep. It's – gives me a monologue that is so funny i'm not even going to tell you what it's what it's about and it's um yeah i play ginger her her yeah her her deal maker. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's Remember a fun well. show. And they did a, another se- a season in another city, and they couldn't fly us. So they uh-huh. got a whole bunch of different Yeah, they got a t- tax break, I think, from a small town in just about, I think, a couple hours outside of Toronto called Sault Ste. Marie. And that's you had Sault to Saint live Marie. there. Yeah. So, But I love Trish and Katie. They're uh, very clever, funny ladies. And I, I see a lot of good stuff in their future shows that I, I will work with them in a second yeah oh i know i i gotta tell story of how we met because it's so entertaining um my original co-host for weeby geeks ken uh who's no longer on the show we were at it was our first megacon because it was megacon 2013 god oh, yeah 20- that long ago <laughs> seven years ago almost eight years ago wow um it was our first convention we had we were doing as a podcast outside of star wars celebration uh we had already recorded when we did celebration we hadn't dropped a show a, a show episode yet but by the time we got to you and megacon we have been going since november but this was our first real dabble into interviews and yeah. i was so nervous we interviewed because your your table mate was Gigi edgley oh very good friends uh, too. which lovely um Love her. which her daughter's name is skywalker that's right which very beautiful baby girl and who she's a she's a doll i just we were represented by the same sci-fi yep. uh convention agent gene Oriko yep. and she Jean's is great. a delight. Yes, Jean's fantastic. I, I need yeah. I need to get back in touch with Jean. It, it's yeah. been a while. Yeah, love from you right now. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. So I interviewed Gigi first because Ellen was busy with someone else, and then I come over to Ellen, and I'm so nervous, so flustered, trying to figure out how to get my equipment working and everything else. First thing out of my mouth was, "So tell us a little bit about your role in Farscape." I don't remember that. <laughs> okay. What did I say? And he's like, um, I'm not in Farscape. I'm in Lex. <laughs> and we we stopped and we redid the whole thing. I'd love to have been in Farscape. We were just before Farscape. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just before. And we were just, sadly, before social media. Yeah. So the show at the time, it was just word of mouth as opposed to Instagram and Facebook and blah, blah, blah. Farscape had a little right. bit more of an edge. It still dismissed the whole social media, but they were still they still had more press than we did at the time. Yeah, now more people are discovering Lex again, but yeah. it's not a huge, you know, the fans sort of have, talk amongst themselves and uh the producers are not interested in doing anything they've all disbanded i don't even think some of them are around but we're i'm still getting emails about wanting to do the show again people want to do it you know the fans do that's, so that's great yeah well um, and the other those thing those shows go- came out well, i say those shows came out at the perfect time when like the mid to late 90s was huge for syndicated sci-fi and fantasy television correct yeah, yeah. it was yeah. cable stations were just coming into their own like sci-fi channel and places like that and you but your syndicated you UHF stations were still going really strong. That's so right. So you'd have like Sci-Fi Saturday Night on your local UHF channel would have like Hercules and Xena and Star Trek and all of this all in one time. It was great. It right. was great. It was a great time. Oh. And that's yeah. fun to do. And then, and then you had back in, in the day too with UPN, you had shows like uh, Bruce Campbell's um, Tales of Buckaroo Banzai and Jack of All Trades. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Banzai never had a TV series. No? No, Banzai never had a TV no. series. Oh, what's the other character I'm thinking of? Um, Jack of, uh, yeah, Jack of all trades. He had um, Buckaroo something. Oh, the Adventures of um, Briscoe County Junior. That's it. Okay. But there, there was a there was an all female sci fi show as well. Um. Oh yeah, that was. Um, I don't know what that is. I don't. I can't. Crud. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, I know what you're talking about too. Give me half a second. I'll have it because it played. It was a um, a two pack with um, Jack of all trades. Yes. There were two half hour shows. Was it? Was it? Uh, Futuristic or in the past? It's futuristic. Kind of yeah. Hmm. I don't know 
what that is. Look it up. Half a second, I'll have it because the Wikipedia will have it both have them both on there. I don't remember that story though, Mike, about that Farscape thing. That's funny. So, but I remember I liked the interview. I'm still here. Look. <laughs> Cleopatra twenty twenty five. Yes, Cleopatra twenty twenty five, yeah. Yes. That was ahead yep. of its time. That's I remember right. that too. Yeah. And that and that's when uh mutants was coming out. So the X Men yeah. based Mutant X. Mutant X. I did Mutant X. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that on your... You did a couple of the those sci-fi syndicated shows back then. I did Mutant X. I did Earth Final Conflict. Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Maya Roddenberry. Awesome. Michelle, is that how you say her name? Roddenberry came to set. I met Gene. I w- and that was a very difficult... One of the most difficult guest stars I've ever had to do because they wrote me a five-page scene, which is a lot in television, and I had to take the... They were called the Talons, I think. They're aliens. Talons hostage. And I had to write that... I had to say the whole history. I, you remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? And they shot it as if... I mean, it was cut up and edited, but they shot it like I was a stage play. Like five pages of a monologue. And I remember going, oh, I have to learn this like a play. And I really <laughs> wasn't familiar with that... Uh, what's the... The, the Bible of that show. So I did a lot of homework beforehand because it was a sort of a retrospective episode and I was the mouthpiece for that retrospective. But I was really happy to have a Roddenberry show. And a couple of times at San Diego Comic-Con, I went up to the sun and, you know, I've started to get to know him. And he said he he visited the set, but I didn't remember that. But yeah, that was yeah very cool. That was a kind of an interesting time. And you actually, to be honest with you, I'll tell you some an interesting fact. I was in one of the first vampire shows ever made, a show called yes. Forever Night. I yeah. saw that too. I have two of the three uh, oh. seasons on uh, DVD or the two of the three volumes on DVD. That show was amazing back in the day. And I just happened to find it. It was like 11 uh, yeah. o'clock at night. Where did <laughs> you find it in, in one of your video stores when they were still around because i know amoeba uh, la used to have it but yeah i don't remember where i got the dvds but um i know when i first saw the show it was just one of those i was uh, i oh. just got home from work or something and it was like 11 o'clock at night and i was just flipping it's like what oh this looks awesome <laughs> it really was the forerunner when you i mean cop vampire when you look at that show and then they go into the past and it was a very it was again like lex a very head of its time show and a lot yeah. of shows borrowed from it, you know. It was it's very interesting. Yeah, I was a lot like Highlander. Yes. Because it was another immortal character who's reflecting yeah. on his life and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what I think is a really interesting theme and I wish they'd bring back the Highlander, you know. Adrian Paul oh, yeah. can play the mentor yeah. and they get a guy for the for the young audiences. It's time to every, bring it back. Yeah. Every couple of months or so you hear see a little headline that someone's working on something for Highlander. Yeah. You never I know. Worked with Adrian on a show that was very short-lived. He was getting tired of playing that character, and he did a show called Tracker. I remember where Tracker. He played, he worked up. I think I remember that one. That sounds good. Like, uh, like, what's that movie with Jeff Bridges? Is Starman? Yeah. That kind of character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So he plays this kind of Starman character. He sort of wanted to play something where he was acting more and more dramatic. And, and uh, so I did an episode of that, I think... Oh, yes. Rachel Scarsden, who's in Batwoman now. Uh, a young Rachel who was in Lost Girl. She played my daughter. So and she's gone on to an incredible career as an actress, beautiful, tall, blonde girl, an incredible actor and a great lady. Um, so she was in that. So we did. But that didn't last. Nobody wanted to see Adrian in that character. They wanted yeah. him to do Highlander. But I did Highlander the Raven with Elizabeth Grace and the woman. Yeah. And uh, I think I did a couple episodes. I played an immortal and I did get quickened, but it was off camera. But I loved, you know, I loved having that history as an actor. Yeah. You know, like the Star Wars thing. It's always something that's going. That those things will never. They're classics. They'll never well, go up. Well, one of my other favorite franchises you were a part of. I remember the show very well. RoboCop, Prime Director. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was that was that a, one up there. I watched that one quite a bit too. That was good. That was a good show. That was. That was well done. I really had to to be a part of that miniseries. Yeah, I think I played a hostage negotiator in that. Sandra Smiles. Yep. That was an yes. Sandra Smiles. And 
I got I, I was so excited because I got to talk in a megaphone. Come out, come out. You know, when they talk at the hostage negotiator, <laughs> I was like, do I get a megaphone? That was my excitement as a young actor, <laughs> getting a megaphone, <laughs> talking through the crowd and, and then having all these helicopters and bombs and stuff like that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And then, and then uh, the police procedural that you were involved with, the collector. Uh, well, that was actually a supernatural drama. Was it? And that's how they labeled it. Yeah. And that was um, that was actually one of my other than Lex, probably the best experience in television. Uh, that's uh, they need to bring that back. That's about a man yeah. who collects souls devil. And that was unfortunately not promoted properly either. But I'm very proud of my work in that show. And I think it's a very interesting concept that the devil was played by a different actor every show. Because the devil comes in many forms. I think that show is not on, on a streaming service right now. I have fans emailing me, and I, I don't know where you can find it. I've got to actually research that for somebody and ask. There's Do you a- remember who made it or what co- what studio made it? Well, it the producer was Larry Sugar. And at the time, he had done a show, a famous show about a gun in the West that gets, uh, every time the gun gets transferred to another character, it, it brings a new storyline. I can't remember the yeah. name of that show. It was a sci-fi fantasy Western show. Okay. I, and Oh, he also did a show that I did with him called First Wave. Remember First Wave? Remember that guy? Yes. Familiar. With Sebastian Spence as, as the lead. And that was an interesting show, too. So he remembered me from that and then gave me the series lead in The Collector. But The Collector... If you guys can find that, you would love it. I think I'm very proud of my work in that show, and I'm very proud of the show. It's I, a great show. I will say, uh, one, that if you own a Roku device, a Roku device, go yeah. to their search feature and, and search the collector, see what see what pops up. Okay. Yeah, give me just a second. Actually, let me turn on the TV beside me, because I actually have the Roku set up <laughs> oh, right here. I don't, I don't have it here, so, but that's good to know. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride so far, hasn't it? Yeah. It has. <laughs> um, we did mention in... The intro, you were in Napoleon Dynamite. How yeah. did that come about? That came about because of sci-fi. The um, One of the producers of Napoleon Dynamite was a huge Lex fan. He had interviewed me ah. at, at the time. I know it's interesting. Again, we go back to our theme from the beginning. You never know who's watching or listening. He's watched Lex. He <laughs> interviewed me. He was a journalist, and he interviewed me for a magazine. Do you remember Cinescape, the yes. sci-fi magazine? Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yep. We had print, and I loved I loved getting those big magazines with the pictures, and I missed that. And yeah. he interviewed me for that, and then he hired me for a pilot to be his co-host you know, like a like a mystery science theater kind of show. Yeah, yeah. And we would watch these terrible movies, and we'd make comments. And then he was trying to sell it as a pilot. And you know what? I don't know whatever happened to it. And then flash forward, he says, "I'm producing a movie in um, Preston, Idaho, just outside of uh, Utah." Salt Lake City, and you want to do it? And he said, "I'll send you the script." And I'm reading this. I'm going, "What the heck is this? This is ridiculous. A llama and, and Tupperware and crazy people <laughs> at school and a guy with buck teeth and an afro and what is this?" And I went, "Okay, somebody wants to hire me. Nobody offers me things. Okay, I'll go to Idaho. I've never been. Flew up, flew there. His co- and then I went on the ride of my life." in the craziest, most fun time I had. And what I loved about that, obviously, is that John Heater was a nobody, right. a nobody. Jared Hess, who wrote it, was a nobody. Uh, John Grease had done some work who played um, Uncle Rico, but, you know, this, and Ephraim Ramirez, I did Tammy and the T-Rex with, file that, who played Pedro, and he reminded me on the set, hey, you remember me? I did the da-da-da, and I went, oh my God, you were the pizza boy in Tammy and the T-Rex, and who gets delivers a pizza to where, to our den, our, our lair, and then get, runs off when he gets scared by our dinosaur. Um, anyway, so basically sci-fi, because Chris Wyatt was a huge fan of Lex, interviewed me and produced Tam- uh, Napoleon Dynamite, and that's the rest is history. And that's the craziest story because we just celebrated, I think, the 15th anniversary. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. Of Napoleon wow. right, uh recently. And um, they're starting to do conventions, too, that gang. Um, oh, really? Yeah. John and John and Ephraim and John Grease, the three of them are going on tour a lot. Yeah. And it's it's just, it blew up. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a classic and it's a comedy of a generation. It That's what they call it, the comedy of a generation. Yep. And people quote it all the time. I, I, they know it better than me. I mean, I've 
seen it maybe only once, you know, that's not a lot compared to what people tell me they see it you know, 150 times. So Now, I remember from previous interview on Weeby Geeks, Tammy and the T-Rex, you worked with Paul Walker. Yeah, our first movies, all of our first movies in L.A. And wow. Tammy and the T-Rex, um, I would never think I was going to hear this name again. And I don't know if you know what's been happening with Tammy. At, well, you sort of mentioned at the beginning, it has become a huge, it's had a huge resurgence. Yeah. Some new producer has bought it, is showing yeah. every film festival across the world from Canada to Spain to the U.S., it is now on Hulu and on Shudder and different Showtime networks. It is all over the place on streaming networks. There's merchandise. I mean, this guy is going to town. It's been in Target and Barnes and & Noble and Walgreens. And to be honest with you, most people haven't seen the movie because the original producer ended up in jail. It's better than the story. And we never, we never saw the movie. We never saw a penny from it. We never, we, I completely forgot about it. And then I get an email from some guy who found me on IMDb. Hi, we're doing, what was it, in Florida? I can't remember where it was in the U.S. We're doing this film, this opening in a film festival. Would you come and be our guest? And I said, why? He said, because nobody has seen it. And it stars you and, and Terry and Paul and Denise, and uh, we want to show it. And then I started to find out some other things that this guy was all over the place. So now, you know, I'm back in touch with Terry Kaiser and the guy who played the villain in it, George Pilgrim, who's this crazy wild character. He's a, an actor in Arizona now. And Paul, you know, I, what I remember about Paul Walker, getting back to your question, is I remember I have a scene where I have to punch him in the face. He wakes up because me and Terry Kaiser, a long story short, because this is the worst, best movie or the best, worst movie you've ever seen in your life. It is so bad. It is fantastic. It's just <laughs> awfully fabulous. And Terry and I, we kidnap Paul Walker, who's been thrown into a lion's den, gets eaten by a lion in his brain. We put into a dinosaur. Professor Walkenstein and me, his assistant, Helga. And I wear these crazy outfits. If you've seen it, it's like all sex all the time. It is crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, I look at this and I go, did I agree to wear that? OK, I guess I did. <laughs> um, and um, so there's a scene where Paul Walker, we're just about to take him to the to our lair and, you know, cut his brain out and he wakes up on the hospital gurney and I have to and Terry Kaiser goes look after him and I have to punch him in the face and I remember going to Paul um I don't I don't really want to punch you he said oh it's okay it's acting and so we just kept practicing he'd get up I'd punch get up and punch and then we had a you know there's always a stunt guy and you, you know you sort of just where the camera angle is you just sort of miss it but it looks like you hit it so it's like stage combat so and I just remember all of us were so green and young. And Denise Richards became my best friend after the movie. We did everything together. Everything, you know. And I just, we were just, it was an innocent time, even though the movie's crazy and wacky and we're all wild in it. Just, we were so excited to be in a movie. And it was during the Calabasas fires, so... We were so committed, but you can see in some shots towards the end of the movie, the light changes and there's a fire literally. And the fire marshal came to us and said, you need to evacuate right now. And we go, oh, yeah, OK, OK. And he'd go away to another part. And Stuart Raffle, the director, he said, OK, let's roll. I mean, literally, we were putting our lives at stake for this movie, but we were so young and dumb and we wanted to do the movie. But, yeah, you if you look at the movie, you'll see Denise in one scene riding the dinosaur and there's all this smoke and I think even she's coughing in it a bit so yeah that movie has made a huge resurgence and uh, it, it's making a huge comeback and it's a marvel to us and I, I let Terry Kaiser know the guy from Weekend at Bernie's and he had no clue so we've now been in touch it's kind of interesting after years to revisit people that you knew when you're baby and starting out so yeah. it was interesting yeah paul what a tragedy and there's certain shots i have you know people are saying post on imdb but 
there's certain pictures I have of Paul that I'm not going to post on IMDb because sadly, a lot of it's with his skull in the movie cut open. And I don't think that is appropriate for what he went through in right. his death. To, so I mm. have some great, bloody, violent pictures, but it's just going to be for me. It's just staying here. It's not going anywhere. I, I posted one on, I think, my IMDb, but you don't, you just see him lying there very peacefully. He was, he was a beautiful man inside and out and just such an innocent, sweet guy and just wanted to do his best work and it's just such a tragedy every time I think about it you know when you start off with actors you know if you lose somebody in your community it gets it really gets you you know I know he has a daughter now and I wish that uh, it must be really hard to grow up without your dad and who became such an icon with his movies so yeah it's 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 really tragic. Yeah. It's tragic. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to probably get close to wrapping this up with let's talk about Skyrim and Elder Scrolls. Um, big, you know, the big video game projects that you've been involved with for forever. I consider myself still a newbie in the video game world, but uh, thank you. I think the first one was Guild Wars. Was it 2014, I think, or 2013? I can't remember. But uh, Skyrim, to book Skyrim, I honestly had no clue of the fan base of that till it came out. And then people who recognized my voice would say, you know, you played about 80 characters in this. See, when I did Skyrim, which was also another crazy pseudo name, they just called it Common Woman. Common Woman? Okay, so I guess I'm playing women that are of lower stature. She's common. But basically, it was just a generic name for a bunch of different women that I put my voice in and different... And here's a little tidbit for you guys. I had never played a video game when I did Skyrim. So <laughs> I had no clue, really. I mean, I rolled with it. I'm very, very quick actor. Actor. I'm a very good, fast, cold reader from being a stage actor. But I had no clue that, you know, I'm going to talk to you now. And I had 10 husbands. So let's say you're the player and you pick me and I'm going to go with Frank. So me and Frank have a, uh, an interchange. And me and Harry have an interchange. And well, they were more uh, highfalutin names than that. But because uh, <laughs> it was a period piece. But I remember going, I just said this to George, to Sam, to Charles. Wait, wait a minute. To, to my aunt, to my cousin. May you rest in peace. May my th-. and And I would go, ah, it depends what the player picks. And honestly... That one took a long time to record. There were three studios going on at the same time, two in L.A. and one in, in England. Wow. I think they had I think Christopher mm. Lee. Christopher Lee was one of the uh, um, people in there. And Chris, uh, Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee. May you rest in peace. Um, I'm so happy I got to be with him, but not really. Uh, I just love his voice so much. Um, so it became a huge phenomenon. And Elder Scrolls Online, I've done several versions of it, actually. And I'm actually, and I can say say this because it's it's i'm waiting for another version to come out there's more dlc content and i don't remember because they don't tell us when we do it but i think there's another platform it's going to be coming out on because it was a yeah it was a different i'm not going to say just in case but what was interesting is some of the characters were similar. They'd say, Ellen, you played like, oh, I'll make it up, an Argonian and Skyrim or Elder Scrolls Online, and now you're going to play it here, but get to it faster. As this platform, apparently people have less of an attention span than they do in some of the other platforms. So it was interesting technique, and probably you're nodding there. Uh, Derek, you may know what it might have been in terms of the, the platform, but there's a lot of versions of these games that are slightly different from an acting point of view, uh, I mean, even if the characteristics are still, let's say, a, a raspy, evil character, you know? It's interesting. Yeah, I never thought of that, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. There's a slight difference because... Let's say you're watching it on your phone. It might need to be faster. My delivery has to be faster because attention pans faster. It's a smaller screen as opposed to something on a bigger screen where you can take your time and create the world a little slower. I had, I learned some new. Th- I learned things all the time because the director said that's great, Ellen, but it's too slow. I said, oh, because generally in video game you take a little bit more time than animation, and animation is usually a little more perky and, and faster generalization but so it was an interesting uh point of view from an acting point of view how i would handle that in a different platform yeah i liked it and those games are, are classics you know people yeah. still talk about 
They talk about Fallout oh, yeah. 4 is another one I did. And I still, oh, yeah. when I got cast as two scientists, and in one scene, I'm talking to myself, to like character <laughs> A, talking to character B, in a game with how many, is it like a year you can take to play that game? And I, of all the scenes, yeah. I get the scene. The only character, I mean, the director was laughing. It goes, uh-oh, it looks like you're doing a scene with yourself here. Okay, let's find a little bit of a distinction because they're both kind of cold, analytical scientists, you know, very, okay, facts, ma'am, kind of scientists. So I made one mature and one a little younger and more enthusiastic and naive. And that was the only difference because this is not, these games, you're not, you can't play caricatures. It's not like cartoony or anything, but... I was laughing, and I said, do you want me to do the scene, like go back and forth? But we didn't. We just did the one a character A all through it, and then we came back to do Because I was, I was going to try that. Oh. Scene. How are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> but no. That no, sounds that, like it would be fun. I know. I, I did it as a joke. I, I, did, I did it as, as a joke, joke. but they, they wanted to <laughs> the way they edited. The way they edited. Oh, I'm, I'm getting some feedback. Yeah, I'm here. It's, yeah, I'm here. It's, I'm here. The internet whoa, buffering. It's whoa, the internet whoa, buffering. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, it's. Um, one of those with the virus out there with the, the virus internet everyone's on the internet yeah. so it's so, bound to happen yeah yeah so again i didn't hear so, it oh it <laughs> must not be affecting massachusetts must not be affecting yeah either that or it's my fault <laughs> we, we've had that happen too um, um, which do you find easier, doing the voice acting or going on on screen? Easier? I prefer, I love both, but I prefer voice acting in that I am not judged. Okay, so for some reason, um, I don't know what happened. As you heard off and on throughout the show, we had some issues uh, with some echo and whatnot. Uh, apparently, I may have hit a glitch as well on my end, um, and I lost the tail end of our interview with Ellen. Um, she's a great person. Go support her. Uh, you can find her online. Search for Ellen Dubin. On Twitter, search for Ellen Dubin Actor. Uh, you can always search her homepage at ellendubin.com and she informed us, email her and she will respond to your email as quickly as she can at jigarito, jigarita100 at aol.com and that's G-I-G-G-E-R-O-T-A 100 at aol.com. Um, again, we had a great time with her. It was a fun night. Support her, support her projects. Um, if anyone knows where you can find the collector online, let her know. Um, check out some of her other projects. Uh, get the games. Um, go back, listen to Resistance Season 2 or the Lego games with Dr. Phasma or Dr. Phasma, Captain Phasma, and, and listen for her voice. Um, again, like I said, we had a great time. Until next time. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull out! No, I'm all right. Placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2! You're all clear, kid. Now let's 